HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Fields, the podcast. I'm Wythe Marshall. And I'm Melissa Metric. On Fields, we're bringing you the stories of people who are working in the world of urban agriculture. For money, for fun, for art, for justice, to feed the hungry, to green the city, or to uncover its history. In each episode of Fields, we'll delve into one kind of food that's grown in cities, one technology used to grow, or one project that teaches us something about our relationship to farming in urban environments. Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer in the city today. You don't need to be a farmer to enjoy this podcast, or even a foodie. We're going to tell fascinating stories and break down the realities and possible futures of urban farming to their elements. Hey, welcome back to Fields. Uh, I'm Wythe Marshall, and as with me, uh, as always, are... Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa Metric. And uh, our amazing uh, engineer, Liam Warner. Uh, today, we're, we're rejoined with, with friend of the show uh, and, and urban ag expert, uh, Jeffrey Landau from Agritecture Consulting. Uh, thanks for being with us, Jeff. Thanks for making time. Of course. Good to see you guys again. Yeah, great to see you. Uh, and we're interested in just catching up in general, but particularly interested in some of your work around um, urban ag uh, food policy. So this is something that we aired a couple interviews you, you um, conducted over the last uh, year uh, uh, in the last season, and we're hoping to air maybe some more material that, that you've taped but we thought today we could just chat about uh, some of your work and what you've been up to and some of the changes in um, different municipal governments uh, as they create offices of urban ag and they sort of plan out their food systems with uh, really very local, hyper-local growing in mind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks. And, and hopefully that that's a topic, you know, you want to dive into. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would preface that it's mainly urban agriculture policy work. So there's food policy, there's food system policy, but I think my work primarily has been around urban agriculture and the role that it plays within cities and how cities are responding to the changing environment and the growing need um, for urban agriculture policy based on a lot of what local stakeholders are, are advocating for in different cities. And I think within the last um, 
few weeks, it's been interesting to see some major cities, you know, announce new Urban Act directors, uh, Urban Act plans, um, and are really now taking a, a leading role in providing policy guidance um, and a voice for those on the ground and what they're doing. And some examples of this is in New York City alone. Um, they, New York City Mayor Eric Adams just announced the new Urban Act director for the city. Um, what we're seeing in the last few weeks now is, you know, cities now announcing new policy leaders that are shaping urban agriculture within the city. So Kiana Mickey is the new director for New York City Mayor's Office of Urban Agriculture. Super excited to see what she will be doing in that role and taking charge of what's happening within New York City. Uh, we're seeing the city of Philadelphia just released their own urban ag plan called Growing from the Root. Um, and that was led by two firms called uh, Interface Studio and Soil Generation. And from the city was their director of urban agriculture, Ash Richards. And they had a very large steering committee to help support them and guide them through what that sh plan should entail. And then um, my own work with agritecture, we just released a draft version of the city of Dallas's urban ag plan. And that's been about 12, just over 12 months of work, working with stakeholders on the ground, interviewing them, working with the city, the different departments on what the city can do um, as a facilitator and leader in the space when it comes to urban ag policy. Well, that's great. And I, I, I want to talk about all that in more depth. So it's, it's good to have like an overview. Um, but I do want to say first, so you know, it's interesting to hear you say that you're not as focused on food policy because I would think urban ag policy would relate both to, to land use and education, but also to, to food pretty directly. Um, so I'm curious if you if you have thoughts on even just the structure that like a lot of cities have had uh, food policies and offices of food policy, and they're now getting offices of urban ag. So do you see those offices interacting? Do you see it playing out differently in different cities? I'm, I'm curious about the relationship between like planning around a local food system and then specifically thinking about urban ag and its role. Yeah. So I definitely see, you know, every city is different and unique and has like its own nuance and um, whether a city has an existing food policy council, doesn't have exactly a food policy council, might have a very robust thriving urban ag community or might have a very like silo dispersed urban ag community. I, I think depending on which city you're looking at, they're going to approach it from a different lens. I think urban agriculture is definitely a part of this food system, food policy conversation. I think the challenge is that, you know, urban agriculture can only feed so many people. And if you're just trying to look at it, at it with the lens of like economic production and yield, um, it's going to kind of not meet the need of what, what city residents are going to want and need. Um, urban agriculture, you know, through different lenses, plays important parts in um, education and building community um, and showcasing different environmental practices, indigenous practices, um, as well as providing food for the direct community. But it's a bit limited in the footprint of how much it can grow and how much it can provide to an entire city. So the way that cities might approach it might be based on how their different departments are structured, how the different departments are interacting with different stakeholders, whether it's food policy councils, uh, community groups, food banks, um, or it might be looking at a regional lens um, because a lot of these cities, 
you know, the density varies throughout. You know, I work with the city of Dallas. It's very clear that North Texas, which is this Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, um, is very expansive and big. And there are a lot of different groups working within the entire region. But the city of Dallas might just be focusing on urban agriculture in the short term within its own city limits. That's really helpful. Yeah, that makes total sense because you can't have urban ag feed everyone. So it's part of the food policy, but the food policy is much larger um, so that's just clarifying for the listener in terms of like what those two kind of groups of people are doing. And one is looking specifically at urban growers and one is looking at how all of the food in that area is kind of moving around and how, how are people getting fed? Yeah. And I kind of want to just jump in real quick. Um, uh, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm so glad that you kind of, um, yeah, just um, kind of differentiated the two because, you know, I'm a, I'm a grower. I grow in an urban area and I also am within the food cities department. And it's just so interesting. Um, just a sense of like being an urban grower, how many times people are just like, how much do you grow? How much is this feeding the city and all these things and, and constantly having to just be like, well, we do many other things. Like our main role isn't just to produce all the food for the city. Like there's so many, and also we don't have a lot of space, (laughs) you know, like how could we possibly do that? Even if we converted every roof with which every roof is not convertible, but, um, yeah. So I think that's such a great point. And also when you're thinking about like food policy, sometimes I think about like within school systems and thinking about like, you know, um, we do a lot of schools offer, feed their students, that type of thing, like food access, all of these other things, which can be a part of urban agriculture, but, you know, food in general within an urban area is such a huge thing. Um, and, and how much that food policy has to cover as according to just this, you know, direct thing of, of, of growing food and having these like small little gardens or community gardens or farms. So I don't know, sorry, I just wanted to jump in and, and yeah, I, I, think, I appreciate that. I think what's so interesting, you know, through my own work is just how much education is still needed. And it's not just for cities and those that work in city departments, but for consumers, for educators, Um, For anyone that eats, really trying to understand, you know, how is food grown? How does it get to the grocery store? How does it get to your plate? Um, And how we can create a more resilient food system that can meet the needs of our growing cities, meet the needs of our our changing climate, um, and meet the needs of, you know, an outdated or antiquated agricultural system that might not put, you know, put forth the worker or the environment um, first and might prioritize profits or the bottom line over, you know, protecting the planet or feeding people or really providing nutritious food um, to those that, that need it. So those are awesome. Those are, those are some lofty goals and I'm curious how this works in practice. So like when you're working with, um, let's let's say Dallas. Maybe can you can you dive in a little to the details of like that work, and um, can you share with us um, how did you try to sort of reorient or bring bring urban ag into um, into into municipal policy in a way that meets those goals, right? That that is that is about sort of broadly construed, you know, sustainability. Yeah. So you know what we've done with Dallas is first kind of interview all the stakeholders and that's you know stakeholders within the urban act ecosystem whether they are growers um, food banks nonprofits 
educators, as well as interview the different city departments that would touch on, you know, an urban agriculture project, whether it's um, code compliance, permitting, public works. Um, it could be the Office of Environmental Quality and Sustainability. It could be the Office of Resilience. You know, every city kind of structures it differently. Uh, but first, we wanted to get a better understanding of like, how do you understand urban agriculture in the city itself? Um, with stakeholders that are, are practicing in the city, it's trying to understand, okay, what barriers have you experienced? What are the challenges? Um, and how can we address that? And a lot of the times it's, you know, different types of policy or zoning that is very restrictive. It could be anything from trying to obtain a certificate of occupancy. It might be related to platting of land that can be very expensive if land's not platted. Um, it might be related to getting proper water or a water meter on site and trying to better understand better understand how the city can support those growers, whether it's alleviating or wavering certain certificate of occupancy requirements, um, creating a fund to help allocate you know, funds to help offset those costs, um, or even providing land that the city might own that's not being used for anything in its current in, in the current day to day. So we're reducing those barriers to allow operators to operate within the city, um, supporting land access to growers that are looking to grow, and then trying to facilitate collaboration. So how can the city be a mouthpiece, a megaphone to, to showcase what's happening in the city and to, to bring different stakeholders together? So in, in more detail, this could be reviewing like the, the city code to try to understand how we can improve the city code, whether it's creating new land use definitions, new definitions about agriculture, whether it's you know incorporating controlled environment agriculture, hydroponics, making sure that you know the community garden definition makes sense and kind of aligns with what we're seeing on the ground, as well as trying to survey and provide you know a a landscape of what is actually happening in the city. So some cities might not have a good map or purview of like who's active in the space and just trying to understand that baseline to even understand how much acreage is under production is a great way to start trying to see where we're at and where we want to go according to different targets or metrics that a city might set for its uh, resiliency plan, food plan, whatever it might be. Um, I have a quick question. So how are growers within these urban areas responding to this? Like, how when when you're interviewing growers and stuff like that, how do they feel about these plans? How do they feel about like kind of the city or certain institutions kind of getting involved? Because I know like a lot of community gardens and a lot of growers are kind of just doing it on their own. Um, and, and I'm wondering how they are responding to, you know, like maybe now they might have to abide by more rules. <laughs> like I feel like a lot of times urban growers are kind of just doing it or finding empty lots or whatever. And I'm wondering if if um, if a lot of them are really interested because then they could get more funding and they could like really be on the map and 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 that kind of thing, or if they're responding in a in another way. Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. I think depending on the city, you know, people practicing working in the urban act space have been doing it for for some time, and you know they have most likely have been talking to their, their council member, talking to the city, talking to different departments, and, you know, may have experienced different setbacks or roadblocks and 
have built up some frustration trying to get the city to, to help support them. And, you know, that can be um, sometimes difficult to navigate. But I think for us, it's really important to like just hear about their experience to to understand the challenges and to see how we can help improve that moving forward. So some stakeholders, you know, share with us their frustrations that they've experienced in the past. They may have already given feedback to the city and didn't see anything come of it. They may have already put a lot forth off time and effort trying to make recommendations that didn't see any results. And, you know, for growers, you know, time is precious. You know, they want to be in their community working, working towards their mission in the garden, in the farm, providing food to, to those that need it. And um, sometimes there's a little apprehension when an outside entity comes in and they're trying to survey what's going on and how they provide it. And I think a lot of it's trying to build trust and trying to, to share with them that, listen, we're, we're here to help you. We want this to be fruitful for both you and the city so that there's a long-term framework and plan to ensure that more gardens be, can be established, more farms can be established, and that there's a robust ecosystem of urban agriculture. Other times, stakeholders are, are very excited to speak to us. They, they want to share their experience. And I think, you know, in my personal experience, uh, I love talking to people. I love hearing about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and, and how we can make their lives easier from, from a city standpoint. You know, it's a little challenging to understand what a city can actually do in terms of authority and governance. The city can only do so much, but I think the city can really be this megaphone, this, this mouthpiece to advocate for the stakeholders on the ground um, and to help facilitate and collaborate and bringing people together to, to showcase best practices, to make connections among different stakeholders and to work within their own authority to, to make it easier for urban ag practitioners to practice, you know, farming, gardening, education. Yeah, that's interesting to think about the fact that, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not ultimately, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard this as well. It's like we live in, an, in a society where things are not actually run by the government very much. So there's not always that much they can do, even if they want to promote something. Um, so I know that there's been rightfully complaints from growers about the government either trying to bulldoze their farms in some cases or just not being supportive in the past. But now that many municipal governance, um, you know, groups, d- different mayors and, and city council people are supportive, it's like they probably the thing that they can most help do is what you're describing, changing rules ultimately, um, but then also just like money if they can provide resources. But I know that that's scarce and we're in a, t- a more of a, a sort of tough time right now. Um, can you... Are there any examples that come to mind um, from your processes that you looked at um, of, of like good interactions? Like were there were there some standouts that just like positive stories, things, areas where you're like, I'm seeing change happening kind of quickly and it's inspiring. Anything you want to share along those lines? Yeah, I think, you know, from my outside perspective, this is related to the city of Philadelphia and the Urban Ag Plan that they released. You know, from my understanding that that's been about a, I think a two to four year process. And I think largely because of the pandemic and, you know, having the group trying to shift towards like an online virtual um, process. But from what I could see is that, you know, they held um, several in-person engagement sessions that brought together, you know, a lot of different stakeholders from the city. Um, And they really showcase that in their plan. Like what do these stakeholders want? How can they work together? 
what do they want from the city? Um, and they did that both in an in-person setting and a virtual setting from what I saw online. And I, I think, you know, seeing the plan itself has been very impressive to see like how much they've put in, how much work they put into it and all the recommendations that they're, they're advocating for and how it touches on so many different departments within the city. And the way that they framed it is, you know, for, for growers, for the community, um, and for the city itself. Like, how does this plan interface with these different groups and, you know, what are the long-term goals and what they're trying to achieve? I think it's very ambitious. I think it's very much needed. Um, and I think that process has been quite interesting to see, just given how active and robust, the, from what I can see, the, the, the city of Philadelphia's urban community is. Yeah, that's awesome. So we're in an era of, of almost like the process is the really important thing, it sounds like, overall, where uh, we're moving from, at, at, like, say, historically, relatively recently, no attention or negative attention to urban ag toward a lot of positive attention. And one of the issues that cities can help with is just convening a dialogue that is equitable. Um, so different growers who um, have historically been practicing uh, their, their craft, you know, they've been feeding people, training people, stewarding land, but maybe have not had their voices heard, they can be brought to the, the forefront. Is that is that something you, you feel like cities, um, do you think cities are, are generally doing a good job of that? Or do you think there is a, um, a danger here that cities like sort of real estate development, they like industry, they're not going to help sort of different community groups in the same way? Is it very uneven? Uh, I, I think it's a little uneven. I think, you know, Agriculture, food, urban agriculture, you know, is maybe not the first thing that cities think about. I mean, I've seen conversations around like smart cities and there's still always this like um, missing spot about like where does like agriculture or food come into play? Like how can you be a smart city if you're not considering how you feed the city? And I think cities are are catching up, you know, in terms of, of these conversations I think cities really need, need to listen to the groups, really open up dialogue um, and provide a space to allow stakeholders to share their concerns, share their frustrations and share their, their wants and needs. And I think that can help facilitate, you know, healthy, long term, sustainable collaboration. Um, but it's challenging. I mean, cities have a lot of competing priorities, you know, in terms of housing affordable housing in terms of mobility transportation um in terms of economic development i mean there, there's so many different departments that we've had to engage with and just trying to get their time to talk to them while they're also juggling a wide variety of other priorities it, it can be challenging and i think that's also partly why cities need to create you know positions for directors of urban agriculture. You know, you need representation in the city. So you have someone that's on your side that is on your team and, you know, being your mouthpiece to ensure that, you know, policy is happening, is changing as it relates to urban agriculture. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. 
Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I think about just like with the collaboration of, of um, you know, urban policy and, you know, urban growers is a sense of like the access to land and design and all these other things and who is actually going to take care of the land. And so it's like, you know, having that collaboration, whereas, you know, folks have access to the land, um, they're part of the actual design and they have ownership over that space. And that is going to help them want to actually work the space because you can build all of these community gardens and things like that. And if you don't have the collaboration of the actual growers, then what happens to the space? You know, so so just that collaboration just seems so important and that the stakeholders, the stakeholders or the growers have a say within that so that they will actually stay on board, you know, instead of. Yeah. Yeah. For, from a city perspective, you know, some concerns I hear from like different city departments is, you know, if we create this initiative, it's going to take from our budget and we're already, you know, highly understaffed, highly under-resourced. So how, how what expectation is going to be set on us to maintain this when we already are short, short budgeted or short staffed? And I think that's kind of why it's so important to build this ecosystem of stakeholders that can help work with the city as long as, you know, they are insured, you know, a five, 10-year lease or some form of tenure on the land so that, you know, whatever effort they put forth into cultivating the land, there is some assurance that they're not going to lose it after a set time frame. Um, I think cities, different cities have, you know, land banks and have access to different parcels of land. Um, and, you know, you don't need 10, 20 15 acres of land, you might be able to, you know, allocate five acres or two acres or one acre or even a quarter acre and, you know, look at different innovative urban ag models that can be utilized on that space. So it's about trying to match um, land that has been surveyed properly, that it has been tested, doesn't have any issues with contaminants or needs remediation um, with those that understand how to work with the land and go through some form of training or education, whether it's through different nonprofit stakeholders or community groups to, to farm and to work the land. Yeah. And then in itself, it's like I, one of the largest issues within urban areas and with growers is that they lose the land, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't have that, that safety necessarily. Um, even if it's like a New York City part of the Parks Department, sometimes that is still up for grabs, especially when it comes to um, you know, more space for affordable housing. 
Um, which sometimes that that is a mixed bag of like, you know, the new condo with like 10 affordable apartments in it. But mm-hmm. so it's like it can be like a very hot topic with that sense of just land safety, land equality, like like all of this stuff mm-hmm. just seems such an important um, yeah, just importance for um, urban growers in general. Yeah, I think from the city standpoint, or like what a city could do is really create legislation that allocates, you know, different parcels of land as permanent long-term land uses for urban agriculture. Um, there, there's tremendous benefit when you let the community like farm, work in that land, build community, build trust, build a, a space um, that really is this green space that's you know, filled of biodiversity, filled with learning and education and opportunities, um, and really helps connect like urban city dwellers to you know farming that is very much separated from our day to day life. Yeah, and hopefully it will help with you know all the other things that you were kind of mentioning before, like climate change and heat island effect and. You know, if there's more flooding and that kind of thing of just having, you know, more of a barrier and and food access and stuff. So it just seems like, yeah, I'm crossing my fingers. (laughs) Me too, me too. (laughs) I mean, I like this vision for cities where they set up kind of land trusts in urban environments specifically to allow there to be um, activities like urban agriculture. You could imagine some others, but yeah, just even like to have bioswales like. Like it's something to, similar to like the movement for for parks, um, which has a lot to do with beautification and recreation, but with this eye toward like the practical climate sh- disruption is here, like it's it's happening, um, and the the food systems issues that I think many of us knew from working in the industry in various ways, but with COVID, I think more more Americans saw, um, like oh wow, there are real frag- fragilities in, in the food supply chain. Um, and not that, I mean, to your point, Jeffrey, it's not like urban ag is going to solve all of those problems, but if cities can begin to think about smart ways to like, I don't know, try to find synergies, like at least kind of look at the problem in through that lens, um, a long-term resilience lens uh, makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I'm I'm also crossing my fingers because that would be rad if, if that was like, if this, basically it's almost like this is signaling a shift overall in how cities are thinking about land, which is bigger than urban ag, not to you know, I know urban ag is the topic of the show, but like there, there is that like meta level of of climate disruption um, and, and everything that, that the social upheaval that could come with it. So I'm glad that this is one one piece of transitioning into like the new reality and being like, OK, it's happening. What are we going to do, guys? Yeah. And I also feel like the shift of urban planning in general, where they're actually um, within urban planning and urban design, putting um, places to grow food within cities, because in the past um, there was never actual places, solid places, permanent places to grow food in an urban area. Like if you look at urban planning and urban design in the past, um, I forget what book I have my students read. The book I mentioned was City Bountiful, A Century of Community Gardening in America by Laura Lawson. They talked about the idea how like there's there's permanent spaces for playgrounds, but there isn't permanent places for gardens or for farms or anything else in urban areas. Like it's never within the design. Um, so how to do that, but also, yeah, like just have everybody's input within that. Mm-hmm. I think to add to this conversation, you know, we're also seeing from like a federal level with the USDA being more active, like in the urban act space. So I know just recently the USDA 
USDA announced uh, $14.2 million in grants to about 52 different urban ag um, projects, which is very exciting. And those projects are listed on their site. You can see what different groups are doing in different cities. I know that the USDA also has created these urban agriculture county committees um, through the Farm Service Agency and is soliciting nominations for different city um, individuals to join these committees. Um, I think my understanding is that they're doing it in different cities around the country, whether it's, um, I think it's like Albuquerque, Cleveland, Philly, Portland, and Richmond to start, but they're going to expand it over time. Um, so not just seeing from like a municipality standpoint, but also from a federal standpoint that um, the USDA is now looking to invest more into different groups to help support this, this ecosystem is very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I was, one question I had is about levels. Uh, we actually spoke with uh, some folks at USDA um, recently. And um, yeah, I've been following that. Yeah, they, they, they have the um, Urban Agriculture and Innovative Production track, and, and they have some grants. Um, in addition, you know, in, um, the folks in conservation are very interested in urban ag. And so it's interesting to hear that sort of perspective and lens. Uh, but, but also, I, I wanted to ask, um, in addition to the feds in the city, you have the state now. The state is forming an office of urban ag, um, I, I hear. Do you know anything about that? And, and do you have a sense of, um, do you think this is going to, yeah, are we seeing a wave? Like, like are we going to have every state have an office of urban ag that, that works with other sort of resilience-related offices and with the more traditional like ag, ag and markets folks? Um, do, you, do you have a perspective on like what the state does differently or better, you know, their, their mandate versus the city and and the same with the feds, you know, how, how these groups kind of interact? Because it's interesting to kind of map it out um, in this space where formerly there, there weren't any of these organizations, essentially. <laughs> there were lot, it was lots about agriculture, but not so much on the urban side. Yeah. So New York State um, recently, and that's the state I think you're referring to, just had a, you know, public online forum soliciting feedback as to what the state could do. Uh, in terms of supporting different urban ag stakeholders through recommendations. Um, I think they're still soliciting feedback currently um, as of this podcast recording. I know also recently they put out a um, request for proposals for urban farms and community gardens, a different grant program for 2023. So it's interesting to see from a state level becoming more active um, and supporting funding and soliciting um, feedback from stakeholders. I don't know how other states are going to react because I think urban agriculture can be seen or interpreted in different ways from different stakeholders. You know, it might look different in New York, New York State versus Idaho versus Texas versus California. So I think each state kind of has to meet the needs of its community and of its stakeholders and it will be interesting to see how different states respond to, you know, the growing urban ag ecosystem. Um, I think as far as I know, New York State's the only one that's doing this currently, but I, I could be wrong. They're the one that I've seen at least most vocally in, in my network. Yeah, I can't think of another example, but I, I just was curious, you know, if you knew knew more um, yeah, it's something to track. I mean, it's something and, and it is evolving as we tape these seasons um, and as we have more folks on to talk about their work as growers and have um, people on the policy side and like in, in your role as consulting, kind of moving between growers of, of different kinds in the city um, and the feds. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see these trends and in a way, like what trends take off and what trends like 
become uh, viewed as like, oh, that was like a fad associated with one politician uh, or one one maybe successful organization that that you know formed a coalition, became a political constituency, and like got power somewhere. Um, but it was ultimately like regional, right? Versus like, is this part of from that sort of historical perspective a shift in terms of how people understand where their food comes from and maybe thinking of themselves as able to grow more food since that was up until very recently in the deep history perspective, like that's what we did, right? We all grew food and foraged food. Um, and now very few of us, um, do that and have those skills. So I'm, I'm hoping it's part of a big shift, but I don't, I don't want to like make predictions. I'm just sort of noting trends that as, as we continue to like, you know, investigate. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, Jeffrey, it looked like you were going to No, I mean, I think the only thing like forward looking that's also pretty important and we're starting to see, you know, more conversation as time get as it gets closer is the 2023 farm bill and um, ensuring that stakeholders from different cities, different communities and different areas of the country, you know, provide comment, provide their feedback and provide to the representatives what they want in this farm bill um, from whatever lens or setting they might be coming from, I think that's very important to ensure that, you know, your voice is heard and that you're providing feedback and following along as to what might be included and that you're giving um, your sense if you're an active stakeholder in, in the space to legislation that, you know, does impact you, your community and the agriculture and food system that we that we work in. Yeah, that's a good point. And is that, do you have any tips for like what, people should focus on or how to give that feedback it's it's just sort of you go on the usda site i'm trying to think there's a url uh um i feel like i've written comments um i i don't have any specific tips i think part of my job is to to learn more and more and as the farm bill um becomes i think on the docket you know front of mind for people as the year progresses you know Part of my responsibility is educating and learning and sharing with others as to how they can participate, how they can engage. So I think um, there's a bit more that I need to do myself when it when it comes to that conversation. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I just it, just even looking up because I, I forget. I mean, I know it's it's a big piece of federal legislation, but in terms of offering comments, I know you can call your elected officials or write your elected officials. Um, so if you are a stakeholder or if you have a trade association, obviously they're probably going to submit comments. But like I just Googled and, and if you look, um, if you go to agriculture.senate.gov slash farm hyphen bill hyphen input um, or just Google it, you know, you can you can uh, give the Senate committee on agriculture, nutrition and forestry your your written comments. Like there is a way that the government does ask for input on the farm bill, which is this enormous piece of legislation that goes way, way beyond farming per se. I mean, it, it is all about food and nutrition uh, and land use and, and a lot of money moves around. So. Um, that is something that gets renewed every every couple of years. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, that's part of it. Um, I think we'll see continue to see shifts in the farm bill that, that track with these other shifts in understanding our food system. Um, Melissa, do you have um, other other questions for Jeffrey? Good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what what are some of the most interesting, like, comments that you've gotten in speaking to stakeholders about, you know, these um, new offices and that kind of thing. Like what are, I think we kind of mentioned that or talked about that a little bit, but like, 
yeah, I guess maybe that is repeating, but like, yeah, just what are, what are people excited about? Like, for example, you said in, in Philly, um, some folks were really excited about some of the aspects of this new office. What are, what are folks excited about? Yeah. Um, so for the plan in Philly, I mean, I think they're excited to see the city put forth, you know, a, a plan to help strengthen their ecosystem to talk about land security, to talk about policy changes, to talk about how the city can better support and recognize the value that urban agriculture has within its community. Um, you know, be, beyond that, I don't feel like I, I'm able to comment much further because I'm, I'm not, you know, a resident or a stakeholder in the city of Philadelphia. But from my, my experience talking to, to those in Dallas, you know, I think they're very excited about, you know, working with different um, stakeholders, meeting different stakeholders, having a a city um, official to help connect them to different collaborators in the space. I think they have a lot of concerns around um, soil safety and soil contamination, and ensuring that you know if the city is going to be working with them, they can help provide and support them with the right resources to, to ensure that the, the land that they would be working with is safe for production. Um, I think they're excited to, you know, have their, their voices heard. And I think, you know, it might not be as exciting, but it might be more of like a long-term journey for, for the city to really establish trust with the community. Um, I think that is probably one of the, the higher priorities is that, you know, ensuring that, the person in the city that's representing urban agriculture can build, you know, strong um, collaborative relationships with stakeholders so that they can work together to, to build a stronger system. Yeah, so this is just the beginning in an interesting way, and we'll, we'll see sort of what happens as these cities' um, offices mature and as people grow into the job and, and develop those relationships in that official capacity, as you mentioned. And as data is gathered, since that's that's something you mentioned and something I've worked on is just like what is grown in cities and how how could it be measured? How should it be measured? So I think it'll be interesting to see as different directors of offices of urban ag like come up with different ideas there and, and share. Um, do you see any any um, lessons getting drawn from the folks who who like like do these people talk to each other and is there a sense that there are learnings across the cities? And I, I'm sorry, Melissa, I know you look like you have another question as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I did hear of like an informal, like month to month get together of different urban ag directors or coordinators just getting together to, to share best practices and lessons learned. And I thought that was super interesting. Um, I know that like city of Atlanta, city of East Point, DC, Baltimore, Philly, I think we're all interacting in some form. Um, I'm not sure if they still are, you know, one thing I found is that each of these representatives are just so busy and usually have like an office of one, which is themselves, that it is very difficult to go to networking events, to engage outside stakeholders, to um, talk to other um, city leaders because they're so in the weeds with their own stakeholders, with their own city. And I think that can be very challenging and you know maybe over time as they get more resources whether it's more staff members um, more support from the city itself there will be a more formal network 
of cities that meet maybe once a month or once a quarter or once a year just to share what they're doing um, and share those best practices, those lessons learned, and, and hopefully helping each other um, in a more regional capacity. I was curious about if you all know about our new director in New York City, since we're New York City based. I have not personally met her. Mm -hmm. um, I have talked to one of the deputy directors um, in the office and had a really good conversation with him to learn a bit more about what they're doing and kind of priorities. Um, I understand that they're, I think they're developing like these different clusters to meet. Um, so they have a better lay of the land as to what's happening in the city. And I think they're also developing an urban ag advisory committee of some sorts. Um, but beyond that, I'm not too sure what priorities or initiatives are, but I do look forward to, to reading about it as it becomes public. Yeah, so do I. It all sounds good so far, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know um, our new director personally, but I, I, I mean, her reputation precedes her, and, and I think it seems like... Um, you know, she's a great pick. And I think, um, it seems like this is the right path. Um, as you say, Jeffrey, you know, having one staff member, you know, uh, can probably be daunting to interact with, um, in the case of New York city, you know, hundreds and hundreds of growers and figure out how to sort of prioritize needs. And if you don't have a lot of resources to offer really like, what is the job? So I don't, I don't necessarily envy anyone in that sort of a role, but I think, um, it's important to right, take the first step of creating the office, convening those conversations, and beginning to, to understand um, you know, what, what resources exist, what growers want or need. Uh, and yeah, like say, even just, just capturing data and knowing sort of what folks are up to, um, and what, what's reasonable, what, what do they, they sort of see as, as the future. Um, I, I'm very excited as a you know, nerd to like read that information <laughs> and maybe that will inform some good decisions and, and bright ideas. Um, and maybe we can try out some things that are they're focused on, you know, climate smart ag in an urban context, right? And like um, better better water flow and all the good stuff, especially, yeah, obviously addressing food insecurity. So uh, I think it's about that time. Um, do I think I think it would be cool to air some more episodes um, where Jeffrey, you have you're the interviewer and you're kind of producing them. So can we get you on the record saying that we're going to do that and we're going to we're going to launch some more in season three? Yeah, of course. I would be, be happy to contribute. I have a few good ones that I'm sure we can pull from and looking forward to supporting you guys and getting these voices heard. Great, Rad. And and if you know any growers or policy folks um, whom we should speak with, uh, you know, please let us know. You know, we'd, we'd love to um, make sure that uh, we're amplifying um, not just generally all urban growers, but I mean, which is, is great, but, you know, really thinking about um, who, who's doing the most interesting work, who has historically not had a platform. Um, so I think that's something we can try to, to continue to work on. And of course, would love your input since you're um, traveling around meeting folks and we're, we're stuck here in the biggest little <laughs> small city. Uh, so <laughs> it's really great to check in and see what you're up to. Of course, of course. Um, it was great to see you guys, Melissa Weiss. Um, thanks for having me again. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, happy planting. Happy post-season. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next time. Fields is powered by Riverside. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.